All right, welcome in everybody to another episode of Mythic Existence. I've got a great episode in store for you today. It's going to be titled Dionysian Entheogens and the Mysteries of Eleusis. And we're going to be talking about a brand new book that came out called The Immortality Key, The Secret History of the Religion with No Name by Brian Moore Rescue. This is probably going to be the third episode. I took off about three or four months of actually recording episodes just because I've been going through a a move from uh, Utah to Colorado and... Um, I was just trying to get everything set with production dates and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm still working out some stuff like YouTube as far as the, the podcast production is concerned. But going forward, I'm going to be trying to regularly release an episode every Wednesday. I just got a new microphone, so hopefully the audio recording is a little bit better. I have probably, I think, two more episodes other than this one that are going to come out later that were recorded months ago with a different mic but there should be some more regularity with the podcast going forward and I think that this is going to be a great episode to get us back kind of on track. So I'm going to be giving an overview of this new book and the research that has been contained within. It is really one of the best books that I've read for years and I couldn't wait to get on the air and talk about it because I think it's really, really important for people to actually know the stuff that this guy has found in in the book. So to give you a basic overview of what it is, because it's there's lots of, you know, kind of complicated information contained within and stuff that people don't really know about. I mean, it's stuff that you really probably aren't taught about very often in school, especially like up to high school. But his book centers around a drink called the Kukion, which was given out at the Eleusinian Mysteries. So Eleusis was the spiritual capital of the ancient world. It was about 13 miles from Athens. And, you know, this was before Jerusalem and Mecca became these real spiritual capitals. Eleusis was the spiritual capital of the ancient world, especially the ancient Greek world. And the Eleusinian mysteries were dedicated to Persephone, Demeter, and later on Dionysus. And basically what it was, was it was a festival where initiates from across the Greco-Roman world would come to drink the Kukion and have an experience of the divine. And Mirror Rescue argues that this wine was spiked with ergot and that's what kukion is this drink that they would have and he said it was spiked with ergot that was grown on the local barley fields and ergot is a psychedelic uh substance it it produces psychedelic visions very in line with lsd and dmt and mushrooms and these initiates were having this incredible experience that really it was only uh, allowed to happen once in their life and they said it just was completely transformative and that basically when you read through these accounts and you understand the importance of it you you, th- you come to think that there was something more than a placebo which is what the you know 
Eucharist of today's Catholic Church. I'm going to get that into a little bit. Is like it's a placebo. This wasn't any placebo. They're having a real sort of experience. And Murray Rescue further argues that the Christian Eucharist was a version a version of the spiked drink. And that Jesus had to adopt the ways of the god Dionysus to convert his followers. So that's one of his really controversial takeaways in this book is that the the Christian Eucharist, which if you don't know what that is, especially in the Catholic Church, they have this part of the Mass where it's communion where you get the blood and the body of Christ and it comes in a form of a, a wafer and wine and Basically, Muru Rescue is saying that originally this wine sacrament was actually psychedelic and that that's how the people who were actually, you know, part of the Eleusinian mystery schools were being converted into Christianity. They needed something tangible. And this sacrament, the psychedelic sacrament, was what was actually being given to them. And Muru Rescue is a lawyer by trade. He got his undergraduate degree in classics and decided not to pursue a PhD, so he became a lawyer, but all the while was still really interested in the field of classics and especially the the mysteries is what they're referred to. The the Eleusinian mysteries as a whole are, are just kind of referred to as the mysteries and the mystery schools in general of the ancient world. And he picked up his research and wrote this book, and I really think it's amazing. So he, he's not just a crackpot that's coming up with these answers out of nowhere. He uses hard evidence, including archaeological recoveries of wine vessels and other vessels that are found even in place of Persephone and Demeter um, ritual settlements that tested positive for for ergot and for other psychedelic substances that were showing that this was something that was occurring in the ancient world. He went to the Vatican secret archives. He went to mausoleums underneath Rome that held these ancient drawings, uh, frescoes that depicted what was actually happening in these rituals that the early Christians were doing that had these Eucharists that he posits were psychedelic. So that's kind of a general overview of the point of the book. And I'm going to get into a lot of detail about everything. So he starts his book talking about research that is happening right now at Johns Hopkins University and New York University, in which they're actually doing psilocybin experiments and he spoke with a woman named Dina Baser, I believe is how her name is pronounced, who actually went through this psilocybin therapy, and it was tied to existential crisis facing death that she was having because she was a cancer survivor. She was going through cancer, and she said that she felt this all-encompassing love that was like being bathed in God's love when she was having this experience. And he opens the book by presenting this line, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die, which is kind of a general theme of the entire book, that 
that was kind of the purpose of these ancient psychedelic experiences was to gain a knowledge of kind of the afterlife and the underworld. And that's where in the myth of Persephone, she goes down into the underworld in Hades. So it was a, a, a fitting mythological story to be emblematic of the Eleusinian mysteries. And he talks about some of the typical psychedelic experiences that people have, which is transcending time and space, intuitively sensing the unity and sacredness of all things, accessing knowledge that is not normally available, and ultimately merging with the larger, more fundamental whole. And those things are things that religions profess, but they actually can't promise and they never deliver on. So that is kind of the purpose of the the psilocybin retreats that they're having, which is helping people cure depression, get over the anxiety of death and stuff like that. So these are the two questions that he's trying to answer in his book are, before the rise of Christianity, did the ancient Greeks consume a secret psychedelic sacrament during their most famous and well-attended religious rituals? And two, did the ancient Greeks pass a version of their sacrament along to the earliest Greek-speaking Christians for whom the original Holy Communion or Eucharist was in fact a psychedelic Eucharist? And as I kind of indicated at the beginning of the podcast, the answer to both of these questions is yes, at least based on the research that he's gathered. So, to talk a little bit more about the Eleusinian Mysteries, um, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, Marcus Aurelius, they were all people who actually went to Eleusis and drank this magic potion. And once they did, they would gain the title of, of Epoptes, which means the one who has seen it all. And like I said, it's based around the myth of Persephone. And to give you an overview of what that myth is, basically Persephone, who is the daughter of Demeter, and Persephone and Demeter are both associated with fertility. Persephone was abducted by Hades and took to, taken to the underworld. And Demeter was very sad that this happened. And coincidentally, a lot of this takes place around Eleusis. And she used the help of Hecate, which is the the goddess of witchcraft, to actually find Persephone and bring her back to the normal world. And she has to bribe Hades by saying that for half the year she will reside underground and for the other half she'll reside above ground. And often it's taken as a metaphor for fertility and the renewal of spring and the transition from winter. But there's a lot that goes on to this myth. And one of the interesting things is that Persephone and Demeter have a lot in common with Jesus and Mary Magdalene in that this is another instance of a uh, you know, a, a person going into the underworld and having to be retrieved and come back, which is basically what, what Jesus happens, what happens to Jesus at the end of his life. And so that was, that's the myth of Persephone. And later the, the Eleusinian mysteries were associated with Dionysus as well, who became 
basically in some versions of Greek myth known as Persephone's child, even though Dionysus is also the the daughter or the son of Sybil and Zeus, which is another thing that I'm going to get into later. And the Eleusinian mysteries, unfortunately, were made illegal in AD 380. So this was part of the Christian erasure of the pagan tradition. And one of the earliest scholars that actually talked about this this visionary brew and posited that this was all a psychedelic thing was this a scholar named Carl Ruck, who is a professor at Boston University now, but he got basically blacklisted in the classics community because of his theories. And he's kind of being vindicated. That's a, one of the, the main points of this book is to to vindicate Carl Ruck's research, specifically from a book that he wrote called Road to Eleusis. And this book was written by, like, it was written by Carl Ruck, but also it was along with Gordon Wasson and Albert Hoffman. And Gordon Wasson was the man who actually introduced the West to psychedelic mushrooms in 1955 when he went to Mexico to meet with a woman named Maria Sabina who gave him the psychedelic mushrooms and he described his spirit going to heaven, seeing mythological chariots, experiencing the platonic realm of the idea, and he said it was the realest thing that he'd ever seen in his life, which is something that a lot of people that do psychedelics report. And Albert Hoffman is the man who synthesized LSD from Ergot. So it was too fitting people for him to actually write it along with. And basically, Maru Rescue starts digging into, at the beginning of the book, he starts digging into actually like textual evidence instead of hard scientific evidence of this, this tradition. And he cites the Homeric hymn to Demeter, which is full of references to Eleusis, as well as grains and leaves. And there's actually one part of the hymn where Kukion is introduced, and Demeter actually requests the drink. And she gives kind of a, a list of the things that go into the potion, and she references barley, which is where Ergot actually grows from. And Hoffman did experiences and found out that there actually were psychoactive alkaloids on the type of barley that was mentioned. And it turns out that Eleusis is home to this rare ergot barley. So this is basically what he's positing is that this is a textual indication that that we're actually going to write down the potion and the, the things that need to go into it. And... He actually says that an elite school of priestesses would have made this brew, which is a, another kind of theme that runs through his his book, is that drugs and women were the, the, the key to the Greek mysteries and the early Christian mysteries and have since then been systematically uh, suppressed by the Catholic religion, especially. And... A lot of this falls into the Christian assault on paganism in general. At the beginning, they went through and the, the Library of Alexandria was destroyed. There was psychological warfare that was enacting 
enacted on people. Statues were destroyed, like the, the statue of Serapis. And it was a lot like what ISIS is doing today, which is the irony because you hear, you know, Christians being like, oh, my religion would never do that. And it's like, well, you don't know the history of your religion. That much is obvious. And another piece of textual evidence that he uses comes from Book 10 of the Odyssey, which is when Odysseus and his crew end up on Aiea, which is the home to the famous witch Circe. And if you're, if you're not familiar with the Odyssey and what happens here, Circe drugs Odysseus's men and turns them into pigs so she can have her way with Odysseus. And the god Hermes supplies Odysseus with an antidote to shield him from this potion, which is interesting in itself. And he spends a year on Aiea drinking sweet wine. But, like the hymn to Demeter, this book contains a recipe. And Homer specifically mentions pharmaca, which means drugs. And basically he's saying that this drink is a pharmaca which is a very particular type of drug and it's uh, the the insinuation is that the kukion itself was a kuki, uh, a psychedelic drink and that Circe was also preparing it and he uses the word kukio in this description which mix means mixed potion And it is said that Circe mixed evil drugs into the men's foods after stirring up a special potion that contains cheese, barley, honey, and pramnian wine. So here we have the barley again. And when you look at these ancient cultures, you just have to think that there is something more going on. That's something that I've thought in the past. Like, you look and you see these very psychedelic depictions, whether it's from the, uh, you know, depictions from the Eastern religions and their mandalas and, or this, this ancient Greek art or the stuff that comes from medieval alchemists, which isn't ancient, or, you know, the Native Americans or the, the indigenous tribes of South America. And you, you just have to think that they, they weren't just operating on this normal level that we are today and it wasn't just meditation and intense prayer there had to be something more going on and that's what i think it was i think it, w- it was a basically a, a wide culture of psychedelics and you see you see that in the the period of like stonehenge the megalithic period like the egyptians you know that the, there just had to be something going on compared to the current day where the religions are decidedly not psychedelic, right? So, I don't know. That was just something that I was thinking while I was reading the book. So, Murescu actually goes to visit Eleusis. And he includes a quote from a man named Praetaxitus, who was from the ancient world. And he said that the Kukion of Eleusis, Eleusis was the most sacred of mysteries and that it hold held the whole human race together and without it life wouldn't be worth living and i find that quite interesting because mirror rescue mentions that today elusis is going to be home to this new mystery thing that they're putting on that's 
tied to ecological destruction. And that might be something that Pretaxitus was kind of foreseeing is that if you don't have the 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 mystery of mysteries, the most sacred mysteries, then we're going to be out of balance with the earth. And I mean, we're going to be, it's literally not going to be worth living because we're going to kill the earth. So, um, I don't know. That's something to kind of think about where the, the Kukion was something that actually made people, I think, acknowledge the sacredness of life, which is something that is systematically being kept out of our lives, I think, especially by the religions when they should be the ones that are actually allowing us to experience it. And one of the reasons why the scholars of today have rejected some of these ideas is because they say that the the Greeks were too rational for that, which is stupid because if they were too rational, then why would they have a god like Dionysus? And Murarescu talks about how the, the, they actually had to balance chaos in the cosmos to grow these ergot barley in the first place because the the priestesses had to keep an eye on the barley to make sure that the ergot actually sprouted because ergot only sprouts if it's actually going bad in the first place. But then if you let it get too out of hand, that can become deadly. So they were balancing the rational and the, ira- and the irrational the yin and the yang, basically, by growing this stuff. Another thing that's interesting to mention is that the triple goddess, which is what Persephone, Demeter, and her old form as the old Demeter, once Persephone gives birth to Dionysus, has kind of also been replaced by the trinity, the male trinity. And so you see that just in that specific place that... The, the feminine is being replaced by the masculine, which is one of the main reasons for, for the suppression of all of this stuff. And what that kind of ties into is this thing called the pagan continuity hypothesis, which basically posits that the Christian church was taking over the, the pagan norms of the ancient world and replacing them with these new Christian traditions that actually were just recycled pagan norms. So that ties into the triple goddess, turns into the Trinity. The Kukion turns into the Eucharist. Dionysus turns into Jesus. Demeter turns into Mary. You know, this holiday turns into this holiday. It's pretty clear once you think about it. And I mean, that's kind of the whole enterprise of Christianity is just taking over all of this stuff. Okay, let's get into some of the actually the hard evidence that is uncovered in his research. So, Murescu started to realize that the Greek mysteries might have actually started to move westward. And he talks about a archaeological site called Mas Castellar de Pontos in Spain. And this was a, a multi-ethnic major economic center of the ancient world. And they actually found a sanctuary dedicated to Demeter and Persephone. All the way in Spain, 
the there was a sanctuary de- dedicated to these Greek gods, and there was grain silos, terracotta heads of Demeter and Persephone, incense burners with their visage on it, ceramic vessels, a drunken Dionysi- Dionysus on a vase, underworld offerings, dog sacrifices to the the god Cerberus, and he- offerings to Hecate. So the whole uh, Eleusinian school was there and they found these miniature vessels and they actually had them tested positive and they tested positive for ergot so they were psychedelic beers that were found in this Demeter and Persephone uh, you know sanctuary that was found all the way in Spain so this is hard evidence that they were actually using a a psychedelic beer to worship Demeter and Persephone. So that is beyond a shadow of a doubt. They know that for sure. And that's kind of how he ends the first half of the book is saying, okay, we have, we have found that definitely they were using the spiked beer period. End of story. Now we have to move on to the question of whether there is a psychedelic Eucharist or not. So, one of the first things he do he does to try and chase down if there's depictions of this is he went to the Louvre and he he found a vase that was in a special collection not out on display and it showed three witches brewing a kukion and they had a mushroom at least what looks like a mushroom with them and all along his journey he brings in this guy named Father Francis who is a Catholic priest who wrote a book about Tibetan monks ascending into light. So he was kind of a, a suitable a suitable priest to bring along. And at this point, he had proven that the Greek wine was a pharmacon. So the Greek wine was a psychedelic drink, and especially a psychedelic wine. And the question is, what does that mean for the Christian wine? And this is one of the big questions, because... In Greek, during this time between the transition from paganism to Christianity, Dionysus was one of the main gods. And if you don't know who Dionysus is, Dionysus is the god of irrationality, of wine, of drugs, and Murescu would say the god of psychedelics. So people were going to Eleusis and actually having these experiences of the divine and of the transcendent. So how would you be able to actually get people to join your new religion of Christianity if people had something way better, which is the Eleusinian Mysteries? And that is part of this pagan continuity hypothesis because there's a lot of similarities between Jesus and Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of wine, like I said, but he also turned water into wine. Pliny describes a sacred spring that was dedicated to Dionysus that would turn from water to wine and last for seven days. So there's one thing, turning water into wine. There's an obvious similarity. Dionysus was, was a, the son of God, impregnated uh, coming from a, a virgin, Samil. So Zeus impregnates Samil, 
and then he's actually born out of Zeus's thigh. So he was both human and divine. He had long hair. He was effeminate. And then we have this thing, the wedding at Cana, which is in the Gospel of John, where Jesus turns water into wine. But Murescu's theory is that he was actually giving out a psychedelic sacrament because at this point, you had to go to Eleusis to actually have this experience. Or it had to be taken out like it was in, in Spain. And people actually got caught trying to recreate the, the Greek Eucharist and they got in a lot of trouble for it. So sort of his theory, Murescu's theory, is that, as that John was writing to the women of ancient Greece and trying to show that their, their Eucharist was going to be equal to what was giving out uh, at Eleusis. And so Jesus was kind of democratizing the psychedelic sacrament here. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus was described as the only begotten, unique offspring of God, and that he was so, God, so close to God that he resides on God's lap, which is a reference to Dionysus coming out of the thigh of Zeus. So Jesus here was basically offering a reminder of the region's wine history that is indelibly linked to the Eleusinian mysteries. And these type of holy elixirs were, were actually found quite throughout the ancient world. In Egypt, they found 1,200 gallons of a royal potion that was highly suggestive of psychoactive plants. And in the ancient depictions, wine was presented as an eye of Horus to cure spiritual blindness and to experience the cosmic underworld. And one of the main ideas is that once you drink these potions, you be actually become the god. And that's what is basically at the communion. The wine is Jesus. And which is absurd, but because it's just normal wine, it doesn't make you feel anything. Like I've had communion. I Okay. I grew up Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore. Honestly, I don't know how people could know a lot of the stuff that they know about the Catholic Church and still be a Catholic, which is a couple of the things that you could probably be, um, you know, you could say are, are missteps in Mirror Rescue's story is that he, he is Catholic and he remained Catholic and he hasn't had a psychedelic experience. So, he, which I was actually just watching the Joe Rogan episode where Mirror Rescue was the guest and and Graham Hancock said that it's actually probably a good thing that he hasn't had this because he doesn't come off like a quack. But I think you need to experience this stuff to really know. You really do need to experience this stuff to know. That's all it comes down to. But anyway, drinking the potion to become the god is a very Dionysian idea. Dionysus was the god and the drink. And once you drank it, you became Dionysus. So... In the Levant, a god without the wine was like a car without wheels. So that comes down to the, this idea. How do you spread Christianity if they have something better? 
And basically, the argument is that Jesus realized that the sacrament had to be given out. And you can look at pictures of Dionysus and Jesus to see how similar they look. Long hair, beard, sort of effeminate figures. There's a painting that's it's, it's entitled Hanging Marsyas, I think is how you say it. And Marsyas was a satyr of Dionysus that was... Basically, he was being hung. Like, he looked exactly... Well, he's hanging, but it's uh, he's nailed to a tree, I believe. And it looks exactly like Jesus on the cross. And he's being ready to be reborn as a container for Dionysus' drink. And he can't wait for it. So, there's something going on. And Karl Ruck actually says that Jesus' name indicates... The, his association with the drug. And Karl Ruck says that he's Jesus the drug man. And the reason he says this is that Jesus' name in Greek is Iesus, which is a spinoff of Iesu. And this is the true origin of the name is basically a drug or poison is basically what that means. And the Greeks would have heard this and associate with associate it with Iaso, who is the Greek goddess of healing and the daughter of Asclepius. And Murescu does a reading of the Gospel of John and a an ancient Greek play called the Bacchae by Euripides, and that's Bacchus is another name of Dionysus. And in that in the Bacchae, he's described as having a crown of thorns and a, a purple cloak, as well as in the Gospel of John, and these are both explicitly Dionysian. And they also substituted the the goat, which is the satyr, like Marsyas, uh, with the Lamb of God. So that's another one of these pagan continuity things. John calls Jesus... The true food or the true drink, which is said that's that's also Dionysian. And in John 1 51, he says, I tell you for certain that you will see heaven open and God's and God's angels going up and down. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't see that by taking communion. You don't there's nothing in Christianity that allows you to see that. But I have seen that. And I don't want to go too far because this is stuff that I'm putting out in public, but you can read between the lines and try and wonder, in this context, how would I have seen that? I've experienced all of this for myself, and so I know that there's a way better option outside of the, the traditional you know, Christian path, especially. But once you think about it, it's actually hilarious that they use wine in communion. It's like... This is such a stupid thing. Like, Jesus' body is in, not in here. This is just basically just grape juice. And it's, it's actually, a, you really have to respect the Catholic Church for a lot, having this con going on for so many centuries and all the people that they've duped into giving them so much money. And, I mean, I saw all through this when I was nine years old. <laughs> like, I was like, you know, I was an altar boy at one point. You know, I was there. My parents and were trying to prime me to be a Catholic boy, and I was like, "This is all so dumb. Like, there, the, none of this can be true at all." 
And basically one of the things that Miru Rescue says is that John was actually writing for women. And drugs and women are two of the biggest threats to Catholicism. And so they've had to systematically basically exterminate them. And part of the reason is, is that when you have a genuine mystical experience like this, you don't really need the religion. And for the first while where Christianity was going on, the witches of Dionysus and the witches of Jesus would have been indistinguishable. So the church realized that women and their drugs had to, had to go. And the use of these drugs is how religions are born and how apotheosis is made. And that lasts until bureaucrats come along, which is the, I mean, the bureaucrats completely run the church nowadays. Okay, so later on in the book, Murescu actually goes to Rome and he has uh, to the to Vatican City and he has a lot of unprecedented exposure to a lot of the stuff that the 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 Vatican has. And one place that he goes to is the Hypogeum of Aurelia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not sure. Aurelii maybe. But anyway, he looks at these frescoes that are are shown underground in Hypogeum. And they show sacred meals called refrigeriums, which were basically funerary banquets that were held underground, and they were trying to actually summon dead ancestors. And they were Christian uh, banquets that they were holding, which does not sound Christian at all. I mean, once you think about it, the mass itself is kind of a seance, so you don't, it's not super surprising, but... One of these pictures shows the 12 apostles, which the author notes is also, it's kind of funny, there's 12 Olympians, so that might be a recycling right there. And it shows a a man with a chalice with a ghost being conjured. So you have to wonder, what was in this chalice and how were they conjuring a ghost? How were they going to the underworld is essentially the takeaway. There's also a fresco showing Circe, and she's depicted with a magic wand. So you have to wonder, like, why is are these Christian frescoes with Circe and her association with the Kukion in this hypogeum? There's another fresco that shows a magician with a magic wand standing on top of a fungi. And there's a lot of pictures, frescoes, of women doing initiation rituals in which they're standing over a big vat of wine and basically doing initiation gestures to the men that are there. So this plays again into, at the beginning, it was these Dionysian Christian witches that were initiating the new Christian men and women with their psychedelic wine. Like, just... Think about that for a second. That is what the true origin and tradition of Christianity is. And that's so much further away than what it's become. But it's also so much worse. Moore Rescue also goes to Mausoleum M in Vatican City. And he sees this painting that has basically Jesus inside of all these vines. 
And there's a quote from the book of John that also says, I am the true vine, which you can compare to this quote from the Bacchier. It is this that frees trouble-laden mortals from their pain when they fill themselves with the juice of the vine. This that gives sleep to make one forget the day's troubles. There is no other drug, pharmacon, for misery. Himself a god, he, Dionysus, is poured out in libations to God. So Dionysus is associated with this vine, and it's also funny to kind of think about how ayahuasca and the vines of ayahuasca are the vines that are used in South America for their psychedelic, you know, ayahuasca that is the center of their sort of spiritual um, enterprise. So there's Jesus being the vine depicted with vines. And literally the, the church in here, it's built literally on top of Dionysus. Literally and metaphorically, like Dionysus was this ancient god that really pushed Christianity through. And there's all these associations with, with Jesus. And I was kind of thinking about it, like, I think that Jesus was a real person, but that he was basically God, the God Dionysius coming into the flesh. He was, he was using Dionysius's ritual potion that is supposed to supposedly actually Dionysus and becoming that essentially. So that is the, the tradition of Christianity that they're kind of dealing with. Okay, more evidence that he has that this Christian Eucharist was actually, you know, a real thing. I guess the main evidence comes from Pompeii. And Pompeii is a really great archaeological site because everything was preserved there because it's buried underneath all this volcanic ash. So they found a chalice there, a container that had opium, cannabis, henbane, and nightshade, which are both, I mean, those are all psychedelic substances. And henbane and nightshade especially are associated with witchcraft. But it also had toads inside of it, which is very, very peculiar. And toads, actually, you know, certain ones contain a, a chemical that is very similar to LSD and DMT. So this container that they found actually was a homemade Eucharist. And in Pompeii, in this Via Vesuvio is this area of Pompeii, they found a very limited production of wine showing that this wasn't for the masses. This was limited. And this is the main hard evidence that this Eucharist was actually being used. And so the question is like, what happened to all this? Did it continue what actually happened? And Muru Rescue brings up Giordano Bruno, who was a, a Renaissance mage, a wizard that was put to death for believing in other worlds. And in a text he published called The Heroic Enthusiast, he tells of Circe brewing a remedy of plants, charms, and drugs that allow for you to experience God and visions of starry objects. So it's very possible that Bruno 
came into direct knowledge of this from having a psychedelic experience. And there's trial records of witches from the region that he grew up with that were still using these potions of toads. So that apparently is the, the potion that was surviving and this survived into the 1500s. So if that was still around and it survived word of mouth for all of these years, what was the response of the church? And that was to eradicate the witches. And they weren't just erasing a system of knowledge, or they weren't just a, they weren't just eradicating women and witches. They were erasing a system of knowledge. That's what they're doing. And he goes through and he finds these records from the Vatican archives uh, from the Inquis- Inquisition that detail white wine with ivy. And this ivy supposedly brings along a state of Dionysian altered consciousness as well of trials of them killing a woman who was making a, a lizard-based potion. So this is the evidence that he's using to show that it was actually surviving into the ancient or into the early modern period at least. And because of these records, we're actually able to uncover it and maybe we can reinstitute it. And I think that to a certain extent it is reinstituted, but just in a different context. So, I mean, one of the main takeaways from this book is that women and drugs are the most dangerous enemies for the Catholic Church. And that's why they had to get rid of these witches from, you know, the very time when this was starting to go through. So, here's some of my concluding thoughts I have about this is like, I really, I just think that we need to re and re-envision what spirituality is in the modern context. I really think that just the the feeling that I've had my entire life is that we are basically making life so much worse and so much less magical than it really is. And the main reasons for it are the systems of power that are in place, specifically religions and governments and i mean the government of america has made all of this completely illegal and it's the worst possible thing we could be doing like the the way of life that we've created for ourselves is just honestly so terrible (laughs) and it could be so much better and part of it is that we need to have initiation rights and we need to be able to explore what it what is out there and this is all a system of control to keep us tied down into the bureaucratic systems and the normality and the life-sucking enterprises that has been created and honestly it's it's a shame that religions especially especially Christianity, I mean, mainly Christianity and Islam for not allowing people to explore this aspect of their self, which should really be the purpose of religion and of the purpose of spirituality in the first place. So I really think that, I mean, 
the these these psilocybin experiments that are going at Johns Hopkins and NYU are a great start. First off, we need to be actually looking into what happens, but we need the power, the the institutions in power, to allow us to do it. And I think that we need to get a new Eleusinian mysteries going on. I don't think that this should be completely just spread for everybody to do it whenever they want because there's potential downsides to that. I'm not completely against that at all. Like I think that psychedelics should be completely elite, completely legal. But I think that we need to have a a new way of experiencing this stuff and we almost had it in the 60s, but then Everything got screwed up by the war on drugs, which was really started by the Christian church when all of this started. And I don't know. I just, we need to, we need to have a new Eleusinian mysteries as the, the, the main spirituality, especially in the West. It might literally save our planet. So that'll be my concluding thoughts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next Wednesday, we'll have another one. It's probably going to be the third part of the hero's journey. So thanks for stopping by. See you next time.